First Church Charlotte. Jump into the scripture here together. Um, I normally, of course, would be streaming this into all the various platforms and I'd have a studio stuff going, uh, but I'm just going to read these passages. Uh, I am using a scripture from Exodus chapter number 23, and I'm going to read at verse number nine. You shall not oppress a sojourner. You shall not oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of a sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. So this is... Recording in uh, progress. This is a great scripture. You shall not oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of a sojourner. You were sojourners in the land of the land of Egypt. If you were to take uh, a review of the scripture and notice all of the passages that are specifically focused at uh, sojourning or being a foreigner or temporary resident, uh, you would find quite a, quite a lot, starting with the father of our, our faith, uh, Abraham himself. This is Hebrews 11, some passages from there. By faith, Abraham went to land Land, live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, Her, heirs with him of the same promise. If you skip down to verse number 13, and they admitted that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. All of us desire to make heaven our home. But sometimes we also want to make this world our home, too. In other words, we want the best of the future, and we want the best of the present. I don't say that judgmentally. I think that is true in my heart. Uh, it's natural for us to prefer ourselves, to focus on ourselves, and to want the best for ourselves. And that in itself is not a wrong thing, but it can lead uh, to a way of being and uh, a type of devotion that is more uh, self-serve than God serve or self-serve than others serve. Um, our patriarchs admitted that this world was not their home. All of the great men and women of the scripture, particularly the great anthology given to us in Hebrews chapter number 11, all of them are acknowledging that they are uh, not uh, of this world, of this kingdom. Jesus said to those who criticized him that his kingdom was not of this world. Um, he pointed out that if he had a kingdom built upon this world, then he would need to use violence. I think uh, that is one of the consistent signs um, of the kingdom we are fighting for. If you're fighting for a heavenly kingdom, it makes sense to turn the other cheek because you were never going to win down here anyway. I hope, I hope you guys see the depth of that statement. Um, if you're fighting for this kingdom, this world, then you have to use violence. Uh, Jesus showed us that uh, his followers did not need to use violence. Um, if my kingdom was of this world, then my followers would fight. But because we have made our spiritual investment in another kingdom, we actually can live as peacemakers, gentle, uh, kind, and patient. Uh, if we are so challenged and so, um, how shall I say, inspired 
uh, to that kind of a selfless, a selfless Christianity. Psalms 146 and 9, the Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. Uh, how do we live as spiritual sojourners? Now, what do I mean by that? I mean that we are in this world, but we are not of this world. It's, 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 it's not a small thing. I know it sounds like a religious cliche. I know it sounds like the kind of thing a preacher would say quickly and keep moving and everybody in the house would say, amen, good stuff, and not really think about it too much. Almost like a, a manner of speaking, a, a religious cliche. Um, I don't want to say it like that. I, I want to say it very much as a challenge to religious status quo, a challenge to my heart. If I am going to be in this world, but not of this world, um, if I am going to live with heaven as my future reward, then that should have some behavioral consequences. That should have some value consequences uh, in my life, do you see? Um, I cannot simply claim one thing and then live out another. And so if you're like me, you spend time reflecting, perhaps having prayed some, having read the scripture some, and you're thinking about what does it mean for me to get this right? What does it mean for me to humble myself, uh, seek after God, do justice in my choices? In other words, be tough on myself, but see mercy for others, love mercy, to be kind to others. What does real, sincere, authentic Christ following, what does it look like? And so earlier today, as I was kind of going through this devotion for myself, I, I literally just sat down and jotted down the things that I think are fundamental, necessary, integral to the sojourner. I'm not talking about the new believer. I'm not talking about the person who is just coming to God. I'm talking about the person who's been walking with God for a little while. The person who has been prayerful for a little while. The person who has spent time in the word of God for more than, you know, this week. <laughs> They've lived it for a while. If you're at the beginning of your faith, I want you to, I want you to nurture the faith that's growing within you. Um, the adventure novelist Jack London wrote a whole short story about a man who is trapped in a blizzard in the Arctic, and he's trying to start a fire, and he knows his life depends on the fire, and he is 100% focused on lighting that fire. And when he gets just a little bit of smoke, he, he knows if he doesn't get a fire lit, he's going to die. So let me steal the plot so to speak, and ask you this question. If you knew you had to have a fire to live, how carefully would you tend that fire? If you knew that you needed um, the right tender or the right spark, and you knew your life depended on it, how carefully would I tend that fire? I wouldn't be uh, lackadaisical with it. You know what I'm saying? I wouldn't be sloppy with it. If I knew my life depended on getting that fire lit, I would be 100% focused until I had the fire going. If you're new to your faith, I would like you to protect your faith like that adventurer trapped in the Arctic who knows his life is dependent on getting that fire lit. You protect your faith. Um, you worry about people who are destroying your faith. You worry about people who are harming your faith. You spend time with God. You protect that fire. Uh, 
there will be a time where you have settled yourself into a stability of faith. I'm not saying that you're all of a sudden as powerful as Gabriel. I'm not saying all of a sudden you're an overnight you know, celebrity preacher. I'm just saying you've stabilized. You know, you've made up your mind that you are going to serve God. You're going to follow him. And now the issue isn't fighting for your faith, although in trouble and trial, it may come to that. The issue for you is sojourning in the land, putting your feet in the place of spiritual contention and claiming people's souls and futures for God. You are sojourning in the land. You are in the land. You are in the world. You are not of the world. So this is the very first thing I would say to the sojourner. Again, not the new, necessarily the new believer, the person who's been walking for a little while. And here's, here's the first thing. You and I have to abide in Christ. When we repented of our sins, when we received the gift of God's mercy, he ushered us into his presence. The difficulty for us is not having access The difficulty for us is abiding. Do you see what I'm saying? Abiding in Christ. You have to stay connected. John 15, verse 5, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. You've been washed by the word of God. Verse 4, abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. You notice how Jesus is making a point here? He is Repeating himself, verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be his disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is so fundamental. We've been walking with God for a little while. We've been serving God for more than a minute. It's not so much that our beliefs change. It's that we learn how to live as divided beings where in religious terms, we claim this, we label ourselves that, but in our daily walk, we're not abiding in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've served God for more than a few years, you know how easy it is to shout on Sunday and be carnal Monday through Saturday. And if you don't see how that is possible, then I don't know if you're very good at speaking truth to yourself. I think you might be a good bit better at self-deception than you think. It's very possible for us after we've served God and got comfortable in a style, a form of godliness. We can be spiritual on Sunday and not abide in him. I, I've i been in ministry for 30, 32 years. I have to abide in him. Uh, I try to pray on a regular basis. I have to abide in him. I've spent most of my life honored to be able to spend a lot of my time studying the scripture. I have to abide in him. So it is for all of us. Um, we show that, we show that 
uh, by the manner of our walk, the revelations of our hearts. How do we reveal our heart? Generosity, service, service to others, and a life of worship or love. Um, and so I, I want to say, first of all, abide in him. You've walked with God for a little while. This isn't your first, you know, church hoedown. You've been around a minute. Abide in him. Now, here's the second thing for all of us who are sojourning in the land. Um, we, have to, we have to act on our faith. Now, what do I mean by that? Um, remember how I said it's possible for us to have a habit of church, a habit of like Sunday is the Lord's day and the rest of the week, you know, we have all those challenges of the flesh, challenges of carnality. Um, so it is that we're able to speak one way and act out a different way. Um, the illustration I like to use, you guys have all heard me use it multiple times. It's one thing to pray for rain. It's something else to carry an umbrella when there's a blue sky overhead. One is a statement of faith. The other is an action. Do you see? An action of faith. It is possible for us to speak the right words of faith, but our actions not live out, do you see, that reality. Like, for example, we can pray every morning, Lord, help me to reach the lost, um, but never once strike up a conversation with the person in front of us at the coffee shop. Who are these mysterious laws that you're planning on on winning? You understand what I'm saying? And I speak to myself. We can say we want to influence our city, and we won't even introduce ourselves to a visitor at church. Who is this city that we mysteriously say we want to say? You understand the challenge that is for all of us where we can say one thing, but we don't act it out. We have to act out our faith. That is the genius of the history of the New Testament church being called the Acts of the Apostles. Did the apostles have emotions? Yes. Did they have sermons? Yes. Did they have thoughts? Yes. But the history of the New Testament church is not the emotions, feelings, or thoughts of the apostles. It's the actions, the actions of the apostles. Let me read to you John chapter number 14. I'm going to read a verse number eight, and I want to confess that I, I, in many ways, have missed the point of this scripture because for so many years, I... I, I read it in terms of uh, hero is of the Lord our God is one. That's not wrong, but it's one uh, spectrum of light, so to speak. And there's more here. And this is what I missed. Let me read this. John uh, 13, starting at verse number. Uh, hold on. Let me back up. John 14, starting at verse number eight. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been so long with you and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Now, I've celebrated that part of the passage for many, many times because we want to emphasize uh, the threefold nature of God reflected in the image of our creation, body, soul, and spirit. We want to reflect the Spirit of God and the Father, the flesh of God and the Son, and uh, God with us in the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's all right, and it is incumbent upon us to understand that new the 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 three demonstrations of God's presence in the New Testament does not do away with the Old Testament Shema, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one, but they fold together in a beautiful symmetry. That is reflected even 
and our own creation, do you see? Uh, but that is not the end of the passage where the Lord says, when you see me, you've seen the Father. Well, he's talking in terms of application. Why? Because no one can see the Father and live. That's fairly clear in the scripture. Um, even the patriarchs have to have some kind of a shielding uh, that they might survive. How can you say, show us the Father? Verse 10, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? That I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Verse 11, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. That's the part that it's easy for us to miss. Jesus is saying, I have a testimony that's not just the words I speak, it's the works I do. Um, We as sojourners, uh, we have to act out our faith. We have to have works of faith that go along with our statements of faith. Third principle of the sojourner, um, we are in this world, yes, but we're living by the call of another kingdom. Third principle is serving others as a path to righteousness. Now, this is so easily missed because uh, we think of righteousness as as self-perfection. And when we do that, it's not that we are wrong in that. It's that we're incomplete in that. Let me explain. The Lord created the church for a reason, and he called it his spiritual body for a reason in the same manner that his body symbolically is given for you. The church is given for you. The church is given for me. I have to be connected with the body of Christ. The church is necessary for my spiritual becoming. I have to testify of my love for God by my embrace of other imperfect people. I have to show forth the unique testimony of being a Jesus follower by loving the brothers and sisters in the church. Is our church perfect? No. That's why they let me be the pastor. Is our church far from perfect? Yes. That's why you're welcome. (laughs) Um, My point is this. The church is a path of righteousness where we become the body of Christ by being joined to other people. We are like one part of a body. We are of no utility to God alone. And so we have to have a heart of service. When most of the time we talk about righteousness and holiness, what we think of is self-perfection. I've got to quit having bad thoughts. I've got to, okay. But that leads to The idea that all I need is a personal formula of righteousness. I don't need to serve in order to be righteous. I only need to perform. Now, if that word uh, bothers you, you should note that this is the systematic theology of the Pharisee. I don't need other people to test me, try me. I don't need other people to complete my gifts. I don't need other people to be the fingers to my hand. Do you see? Uh, I 
I don't need to serve others. I just need to perform my excellence and demonstrate. That's why the Pharisee always has contempt for other people because he doesn't have a sense of his need of other people. First uh, Peter 4, verse number 10, each one of us should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. You are called to be an administrator of God's grace. You administrate God's grace. Your hands, your feet, administrate God's grace. Matthew 23 and 11, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Oh, I know that's just Jesus talking and we skip over those words. Matthew 20, 28, the son of man has not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. I want you to see your path to spiritual becoming is not away from the church. It's not criticizing the church. It is integrated with an imperfect church. All right. I could spend uh, weeks on that because I, I think it is the most under-preached and under-celebrated path to real spiritual righteousness, godliness, and holiness in all the word of God. I think that service to other people demonstrated by Christ, whether he's washing feet, whether he's dying on a cross, whether he's speaking, you must be a servant, whether he's saying this is an upside down kingdom, whatever he is doing, I think the most underappreciated path to godliness, righteousness, and holiness is are you serving or do you have a heart uh, to be served? Um, Number four. around for a little while um you have to have a heart to invest in others now this is different than serving others it's easy to serve people that you feel like you're superior to you serve them out of pity you can even condescend as you serve them investing in people is very different than helping someone who has it worse than you somebody who's broker than you let me give you a personal story. Um, I've been working uh, uh, with our staff, and uh, when I'm doing these staff Sundays, it all came out of a conviction in my heart to develop, to, to see them succeed, to develop them. And this isn't because I'm good. This is because I am aware how sinful I am, and I have to somehow keep trying to be more like Jesus. Um, and so I, for years, I just responded to that. Oh yeah, I need to do that. I need to do that. But then I decided I have to take it seriously to invest in their success. So in prayer, you know, I asked myself this question. I thought maybe it'd just be a good prayer meeting and the Lord would let me move along, uh, to just do what I'm comfortable doing. <laughs> um, uh, but the Lord didn't. And he told me, or he, he made me to know, I should say, he challenged me. Okay. Um, you know, use them in your pulpit, invest in their success, make it as good as you can make it, celebrate when they succeed, whether it's in the pulpit or whether it's uh, producing content on a website, whatever you can do. Well, what's funny is this this past Sunday, I was past week, I was doing the notes for Sunday, and I be a, a complete confession before the Lord. 
I did not want to give that message uh, away. I wanted to preach that message. It was right down my alley. It was in my wheelhouse. I didn't want to give it away. And for a little while, I put it aside and I said, I'm going to give, I'm going to give them something that I don't want to preach because I want to preach this so bad. And the spirit convicted me and said, I thought you wanted to be like me. I thought you wanted to follow me. Uh, I see you just want to do your own version. And that's like a silly, funny, um, personal example of how it's not enough to just want to help people who need help. We have to invest in people's success. We have to invest in people. I want to see the leadership of our church succeed. I want to see those of you who have leadership potential um, become. I've been working um, with some of our church leaders to develop a institute for um, people who want to step into spiritual leadership roles. You'll be hearing more about that as we go into the fall. We've done work. We've studied other churches. Um, Sister Tanya is helping me with that. And uh, I've sent her uh, to other churches to study what they do. Um, we have to invest in people. Uh, we have to believe that. I, I don't mean just help people. I mean, we have to invest in them. Let me say it differently. This isn't going to be easy for any of us, but we have to prefer, prefer them. Now, I, I'm not doing that yet. I'm, 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 I've got work on my soul to do. Um, but this is the path, my brothers, my sisters, Let's walk in it. In the same manner, let me give you the next principle of sojourning. We invest in others and we deny ourselves. Uh, let me say one more thing about investing in others. When Jesus say make, when he says make disciples, he's not talking about giving you rights of power over other people. Because he nowhere does he do that. He's not talking about making you your own dictator. What does he say when he says make disciples? He's not saying enforce anybody. Let me tell you what I think. He is literally saying invest in other people, invest in their talents, invest in their faith, invest in their spiritual gifts, show them, lead them. I think we might would say not make disciples because that has a declarative, almost control language. I think we would say invest in other people. Uh, and uh, this is followed by deny yourself, number five, First Peter chapter two, verse number 11. Um, since we're talking to sojourners, let's read Peter's language to sojourners. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. What are you saying? Deny yourself. What passions of the flesh do you have good control over? And what passage, passage of the flesh, passions of the flesh, do you not have good control over? Maybe we should pause here for a very heavy, guilt-laden moment of reflection. Your flesh, your passions, my flesh, my passions. What do I have control over? What do I not have control over? The things I don't have control over are waging war against my soul. Whether it is entertainment, vanity, envy, lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, pride of life. Whether it's disciplines of mind, disciplines of spirit, disciplines of body. Whether it's the food I can't control, whether or not it is the mouth. 
I can't muzzle whatever it is that I, this preacher, am not controlling. It is warring against my soul. Uh, principle number six for sojourners, and I'm almost done. In this journey, in this walk, in this calling, you're going to have to persevere. Now, this is good for everybody, the new believer or the sojourners, but particularly those of you who have been walking for a while. Hardships will come. It is incumbent upon us to endure struggles while trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Growth comes through perseverance. James 1, verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Perseverance doesn't mean you're out of God's will. It means you're doing it right. Sore feet and a tired back does not mean you're out of God's will. It means you're doing it right. Sojourners, your last principle is this. Never stop seeking to discover your spiritual gifts. Um, if I've learned one thing as a minister who people consistently look to to have spiritual answers. The most difficult thing about um, being in a spiritual leadership role, um, I would say, is those moments when people look to you to have spiritual answers and you do not have spiritual answers. Now, the Lord has not left you unprepared for this because what you have when you don't have a spiritual answer is you have a biblical answer. Spirit, a spiritual answer in the usage that I am speaking is the kind of answer where there is an inspiration, an inspiration. God's put it in your spirit. Is that too much technicality for you? It's like fellowship. All the fellows are in, in one ship. <laughs> it's inspiration. God has put it in your spirit. And as a leader, people will ask you for a spiritual answer and you will go look in the bank of your spirit and there's no inspiration in your spirit, but the Lord has not left you without hope. What you have when you don't have inspiration is you have a biblical answer. And this is what I found. If you start with biblical answers, God will always fill your spirit. If you go only to your spirit and not to the Bible, you will oftentimes find yourself empty and you have to go back to the Bible and the Bible will fill you and the inspiration will come again. Um, so if there's one thing I've learned being in this role where people are always looking to the pastor, when I was evangelist, they would want to talk to the evangelist in the altar the one consistent thing that I've consistent that over and over is um, I, I, I would say to people that as the seasons of your life change, the potential of your spiritual giftedness changes with it. You cannot believe because the circumstances of your life have changed that the gifts have left you. God will use you differently in one stage of your life than he will another stage of your life. And so the seventh principle for sojourners that I'm giving you in this devotion tonight 
is this challenge to keep seeking, asking, keep praying, requesting, discover spiritual gifts. God gives every believer spiritual gifts and he uses them to build up his kingdom, his church, his saints. Do not stop seeking spiritual gifts. Do not stop thinking that because a season of your life has changed, that your giftedness has changed. Dearly beloved, this is not the case. <laughs> Keep seeking spiritual gifts. God will do miracles through you in the last years of your life that you didn't see in the first years of your life. Young men are for war. Old men are for wisdom and counsel. They're both spiritually valuable in the realms of spiritual contests. Don't seek. Don't stop seeking spiritual gifts. All right, how am I doing on time? I need to wrap up here. I want to review these seven principles for sojourners. Number one, abide in Christ. It's going to be a daily thing, not a weekly thing. Church is a weekly thing. Abiding in Christ is a daily thing. Don't get church mixed up with abiding in Christ. Church is an aid, a help to abiding in Christ. But church is not abiding in Christ. Church is a Sunday or what other, whatever the day of the week thing. Abiding in Christ is seven days a week. Abide in Christ. If you do that, all of God's kingdom purpose and blessing flows through you and the fruit of the kingdom is birthed within you. Uh, secondly, act out your faith. Don't just speak it, preach it, or sing it. Now, don't stop speaking it, singing it, and preaching it, because that is the first step of reordering your soul. You speak things that do not yet exist. You speak that which does not exist. You speak. But it cannot only be words. This is why the apostle says, be doers of the word, not just hearer only. You see, um, I speak it as a beginning, but it lives out of me through actions. Even Jesus said, look, if you're having a hard time seeing God in me, see the works I do. If Jesus has that kind of insight into how acting out faith is the most powerful thing a believer can do, more powerful than speaking faith, why the book of Acts is named for the deeds of the apostles, acting out faith. Uh, number three, um, service as a path to godliness, righteousness, and holiness. Not just, you know, stop and cussing. <laughs> Please stop cussing if you've been cussing. <laughs> uh, not just that. But sometimes we dumb down holiness so far that we soon get along better with a group of judgmental people who survey others and see what's wrong with them, saying, thank God I'm not like them, rather than looking at others and seeing how could I help them. Number four, how could I invest in them? How could I prefer them? Number five, how could I deny myself? If I'm not willing to deny myself, these passions of my flesh war against my soul, which Let's say it this way. The passions of my flesh are a type of lid on my spiritual potential. Number six, I have to persevere. 
through trials. I have to persevere through trials. I don't get to feel sorry for myself, at least not for more than a little while. <laughs> I don't get to get mad at God and at people because things are hard. I have to persevere. If I can do that, it works out its own spiritual perfection in me. And lastly, I don't stop seeking spiritual gifts. I can't run with the young men anymore, but God still has a gift. If you are an elder and you wonder if your your work is done, let me ask you this question. How, how have you been doing on blessing those who are following behind you? Uh, the greatest elders know how to scatter blessings like a patriarch that says, bring me your children. I want to pray over them. The best elders and the best place of as we near and we're all getting older, unfortunately, don't mean to discourage you. As we near the end, as we go down the hill rather than climb it, more and more our role becomes giving blessing um, people that we do not entirely approve of. Watch this. If you look in the scripture, every time a blessing is given, and you ask yourself if that patriarch in some way approved of everything in those, kids, those, those younger people's lives, you will find that's not the case. There's always something you can criticize, but they bless them anyway. You don't have to comment on everything. Comment on what you see and bless them. That's enough. Let's stop. I love you all. Lord, we pray for your anointing upon each of us. We pray for your unction within each of us. We desire your touch above everything else. We hunger and thirst for your righteousness above everything else, Lord Jesus. I pray that as a body of Christ, uh, in whatever congregation, whatever location, uh, I pray that your unction would be upon us and that we would give you... Uh, how do I say? You would be proud of us in some way. We'd be sojourners who know we're not living for this world. We're looking for another kingdom that our promises is with you. Oh, we pray for your help and your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us. Thank you.